Well, it's a Tuesday evening right here on 97.3 City FM, and it's Tuesday evening to discuss technology. It's Tuesday evening to understand the Ghana tech ecosystem, and it's Tuesday evening because this is City Trends. You're welcome. My name is Philip Ashon and City Trends is sponsored by ALX. ALX is an African leadership group initiative that seeks to create a diverse pool of talent in the technology sector. ALX is at the forefront of providing cutting-edge Silicon Valley training to young professionals, equipping them with the most in-demand skills for the future. To be a part of it, visit alxafrica.com today. Yes, the website once again is alxafrica.com. My name is Philip Pashon and you're welcome to the show. Today we will be talking about Ghana's innovation ecosystem and there's a report that we'll be delving into trying to make sense of this ecosystem of ours. What, what are the issues that we, we probably are not paying close attention to because we don't have the data to back it and really what exactly is happening in the ecosystem. We're trying to understand what for example a VC is and the first round uh, of, of fundraising is second round third round 15th round whatever it is we're trying to delve um and give you a better understanding of what all of this is about on the show today in a minute my guests are going to introduce themselves and we're going to dive straight into the show you're welcome this is city trends share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the whatsapp number 054-998-6996 tweet at us using hashtag city trends My name is Isaac Newton Aqua, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Innovation Spark. My name is Amisha Diofori. I'm co-founder of Innovation Spark. Brilliant. Well, let's start off with the Ghana Innovation Ecosystem Report 2022 year in review. First of all, why did you guys even come up with this in the first place? So it started with one of our other co-founders. We're, we're three. Uh, this guy just has so much knowledge about the ecosystem just off the top of his mind. And although we're all well-versed with doing training programs, we're all part of the startup ecosystem, he was sharing so much information that we realized that people needed to know. So we started what's now the Ghana Innovation Journal, where we document every week what's happening in the ecosystem. Some of the top stories of you know, fundraisers, uh, new, new ventures, and so on and so forth. But we gathered so much information and we realized that people often need to know what's really happening in the space. So we had a half-year report last year and we decided to actually finish it off with a full-year report so people can see what's going on in the ecosystem in Ghana. What was it like getting all of this together? You know, because I can imagine it wasn't uh, a walk in the park, especially because we, we know quite a number of founders, quite a number of um, tech businesses don't like to share information um, at well at all, and we know that for a fact. But so, what was it like putting all of this in, together? Philip, you you appreciate the importance of relationships. You and I have been uh, in relationship for over over six years, and 
that is what we leveraged on between the three of us we realized that apart from being part of the ecosystem we had a relationship with the different players in the ecosystem so to put this together we relied heavily on that relationship and so to even get comments from people like Akosia, from you yourself, and from other players in the ecosystem, it was mainly leveraging the long existing relationship. And I believe that is what we also need in the, uh, in the community. Relationships that thrive, relationships that are genuine, and we know that we are all looking out for each other. Apart from that, um, most of the research was done, like Isaac mentioned, throughout the year. And so it was a matter of compiling but we did reach out to other advisors, other um, consultancies out there to also help to make the conversation richer and to make sure that the information that we were, we were providing was actually factual and correct. So let, let me start off with you then. What are your major highlights? And I'll be coming to you as well. What are your major highlights from the report before we delve deeper into the, the, the nitty gritty? Mine is always money. Mine is always money. Um, one of the major ones for me was M Pharma raising $35 million, right? And then the next person after him also raised around $32 million. And now it's no, it's no longer... It's no longer a pipe dream to say that we can get Ghanaian co-founders raising an amount of money to help push their companies. Um, before, I remember interviewing one of the starters back, back in the days, and he had raised $1.5 and that was huge. But now we can say, okay, there, there is the possibility to go all the way to Series C, and you don't have to limit yourself just because of what you don't um, currently experience. So that was one of my major highlights. Uh, for me, I think in Ghana, we sometimes, I don't want to sound critical, but I think we sometimes think small. You know, and we have startups who are only in Accra, and they won't even think about going to Kumasi or going to the north. But for me, the major highlight was seeing the Ghanaian companies that have expanded across Africa and the world. You know, ZPay going the furthest all the way to Barbados. We have companies going all the way to East Africa, North Africa, South Africa, not just Nigeria. Because also, you know, when we think outside, it's like our Nigerian brothers. Mm -hmm. But people going into the Francophone markets. And we, we, we often forget that we're in West Africa with the whole Francophones. Mm -hmm. But they're going into Francophone markets and expanding there. I think that was just fascinating. That it's, not that it, it's possible, but they have done it. it they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's always nice to hear the story of ZPay as well. Um, always in the news, making sure they are in our face, letting us know where they are going and what they are doing. And I mean, kudos to uh, the team um, at, at ZPay. But I'm sure this report contains way much more um, than information on 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 ZPay. And and as I, I, I'm just reading just a portion. Um, here, an, an equal, as an ecosystem enabler, um, the, base, the team basically wants to highlight the significant accomplishments of Ghanaians, both home and in the diaspora. The mission is to spark conversations and empower investors by providing clear, timely, and objective data on the ecosystem. And that is what I just wanted to ask you guys about. And just to find out what the level of interest is, um, because we always talk about investors as potentially people, you know, from outside the continent. Mm -hmm. What is the appetite of investment from within the continent on businesses that are from the continent? Did, did the report give any semblance or any idea around that? Did you find that there was a certain appetite for that? Even among the companies that you interviewed, 
do they actively look for investors from within the continent as against those or is it just an issue of who has the money let me go find the money that's it well it, it, i think it's a blend right so why, why we really look at that is because there's so many there's so much money out there full stop both within the country although sometimes here in ghana it's harder to get but if you look at nigeria kenya south africa egypt the investors sitting there, and you have large uh, investors such as Ingressive Capital, who are very active in Ghana through um, uh, Impact Hub, uh, William Seno, uh, and other big Nigerian VCs especially. They are the, um, the say the, the the biggest VC group that invest in Ghana uh, from the continent. I'll say, and they have a huge appetite. So yes, there's there is a lot of interest from investors in the continent. Even within Ghana, we, we also had a whole page dedicated to a Ghanaian investor, which is rare. But yeah. I, so I really want to shout him out. I'm really proud of Ernest Appier from the Agriculture Manufacturing Group, who has put money together and invested into like five or six different startups here in Ghana. So it shows that there are people with capital. And we don't, we don't need millions for the early stage investments. But we have multiple investors. And I think if they start seeing that, yes, there will be some startups that don't make it. I don't want to say every startup is going to make it. But startups should be an asset class. The same way you have cars and jewelry and properties. For people who have reached a certain level of, an, uh, of financial freedom, they should look at startups as an asset class. And you can invest in a startup and see multiple returns in the future. That's 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 a, that's a very powerful one, you know. I should I should put that as a quote on on a building somewhere. That's a very powerful one. But Amish, I mean, it's it's great that we do have that level of appetite. Um, but how keen, and this might not necessarily be you know, very easy to find in the reports. But in your conversations, do you get the sense that, for example, Ghanaian startups? have a certain hunger for looking for potential investors from within the continent as as against or as compared to you know you know seeking the investment from outside the continent you know where 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 does the appetite lie for a Ghanaian um you know tech startup okay also working with uh, a consultancy company that provides funding for projects in Ghana, I realized that most of the startups are eager and keen to work with you when you tell them that you have external investors, because it seems that there is uh, there are more dollars available from the, from these people. I have also come across internally investors in in the country who do have the dollar amount to be able to invest in these startups. But what I realize is they are still more prone to invest in the traditional sectors. And that is why the startups will probably not lean towards them because then you have to extra convince them. I have a gentleman trying to work on um, a data bank, for example, and it has taken him longer than necessary to try and raise the capital within the country as opposed to outside. So that would be my understanding of what is currently happening. I am not... I don't deny, example, NSDAPIA, that people like NSDAPIA exist, but it, it just seems that it's easier to convince external fund, funding to give you the money. Now, what I want to understand now is the levels of investment. Mm -hmm. 
mm. and the types. For example, you talk about series one, two, VC this, VC that. Walk us through what those various stages mean and what they are before we, you know, get into the integrity of the report itself. Okay. So we actually, uh, part of the team worked on the uh, GIZ uh, tech investment landscape report uh, with looking at the investor side of things. So we actually had a nice graph there walking people through the different stages. So you just start very, very early. You have an idea, right? So you usually have some grant money, some um, incubation program, some uh, award you can win. Usually it's like, you know, $5,000, 5000 CD, something small, but just for you to go and test your idea. Do people want what you say they want? So that's really trying to get your pilot. Then you get what's known as the MVP, the minimal viable product. So you get very early stage investors. These are usually angel investors. And angel investors, typically someone who you know, has done very well in their field, has a little bit of disposable income, and then like, like the earnest appears, would put some money down to help you further your idea to MVP. Once you get there, once you have a product that people seem to like to want, then you look for more traditional investors. These are venture capitalists. And they would like to see your traction. Who is buying? How many followers do you have? What's your growth week on week, right? They want to see how far can you go. And with the VCs, it's, it's interesting because you have to understand the game that they are also playing. VCs have gone to borrow money from somebody and promise them, we'll give you your money back in seven years. So when a VC says they have a fund, they have seven years to deploy all their capital, have you grow, 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 and exit their position, and then give the money back. So a VC really wants to see a business that if I pump money into this, can it grow by 10x? So you're making 100,000 this year, can you make a million next year? Or in, your, in the seven year timeline, right? So this, this is now uh, pre-seed, right? So pre-seed is somewhere between 50 to 100,000 USD, typically. Obviously in different industries, you might need more money and so on. Then you get seed capital, around 500,000, and then you get higher rounds of funding. And what we've seen in the report, you have multiple rounds. You have people getting 3 million, 10 million, or as Amish and I mentioned, 35 million. So these are different stages, series A, series B, series C, series D, and they go on. Till either you have an exit, where another company comes to buy you. This happened with um, Paystack and Stripe. Stripe came to buy Paystack. Or you go to an IPO, like Jumia, you go to like a New York Stock Exchange, a Hong Kong Stock Exchange, uh, Frankfurt, London, and you get listed on the stock market and people buy shares and then give you money to continue operations. Mm. I, mean, I guess from there, then, you know, sky's the limit, literally. Well, sky's the limit or sometimes you fall. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, I mean, this is outside of Ghana, but you have a company in Egypt, uh, Swirl, I think they were called, um, and they went to go do the whole IPO and, and they, they envisioned they would keep growing, but they have shrunk by close to 90%. So they used to be a unicorn and now they've been dehorned. And a unicorn is? 
So a unicorn is a company whose valuation, not money, but the valuation is over $1 billion. The reason they called unicorn is because before, at, a, at some point of time, that used to be far-fetched. That used to be beyond the sky. You couldn't even dream about it. So those are something you just like, aspire, you know, you just, you just put in your notebook, one day I want to have a company worth this month. But now you have unicorns. And now we even have unicorns in Africa. That's, that's, that's interesting. Did any businesses in, in, in Ghana who you had been tracking over the period end up failing even, you know, especially tech businesses? Did any of them that are worthy of mention and note fall by the wayside, you know, during this period? Of, of, of review and, and research. Did, 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 did any, you know, come, come to mind? Okay, during our review and research, no. It's also because we were focusing on the victories and the success stories, right? And so we may have been biased towards that, but Isaac? So, so then let's look at those victories. Okay. Let's look at the victory stories, you know. Let, walk us through some of the victory stories that are contained in the report that you feel Ghanaians should know about. Okay, uh, so hands down, fintech is still sexy for investors. So we realize that most of the fintechs, um, cheaper cash got its glory days in 2021 and it continued into 2022. We saw ZPay even going on to become um, best company in the country, not just as a startup. So these are fintechs, but we have a couple of outliers as well. Aquafresh, which was one of the uh, startups, especially in sustainable food, they are, they are preventing food wastage by up to 20%. They also went on to get some traction across the globe because they are focused on sustainability. And so for, for me, I would say that if you're a startup, you also want to look at the trends in the world, not necessarily change your business model to fit those trends but be aware of how you can place yourself in this in these trends and also be able to leverage that for um, for raising funds um, apart from that i think that personally my favorite is m pharma m pharma is not in the typical it's, it's not in fintech it's in pharmaceuticals and they went all the way to acquire other startups and other pharmacies which is huge not just in ghana they acquired it across the continent so those are definitely my favorites uh for me i have a favorite which is oze and i think it's it's an interesting story from so many different areas. as you mentioned megan right so it's one it's a, a white american lady who has decided to come to Ghana, and rather than creating a startup in America, she's come to Ghana and created her startup here. So that's already different, right? Um, the second female founder, but also I was born and raised in Austria. Austria has no historic ties to Ghana. Mm -hmm. There was no slavery involved, there was no trade, very little trade. We have I mean, Vienna City, for example, and Sun City Hotel is built on Austrian. But apart from that, you couldn't see any other connections with Austria and Ghana. Mm -hmm. Yet the lead investor in Oze's round is an Austrian VC. The Austrian VC has invested in four unicorns already, and they're looking obviously to invest in more. And thinking an Austrian VC that has no historic ties here, I'm not looking at South, uh, South Africa or Kenya or Nigeria, but finding deals here. Mm -hmm. So for me, I know we're talking about hopefully getting more local investors, 
But what I liked and what I've seen in this report is that non-traditional countries, Austria, Singapore, uh, Turkey, are also looking for deals in Ghana. And I think that enables startups to not just think, oh, there's no money for my Ghanaian partners, but I can still find money and grow my business. That's a very important point as well, Amish. One more, Philip, you know this person, Aloysius. He has been a host, uh, he has been on your show many times. Aloysius keeps pushing the boundaries mm -hmm. as well. So Aloysius also raised funds um, in 2022, and we have to give a special shout out to him. Again, also because it's not traditional sector. It's not the quintessential sector like fintech. And the fact that he keeps pushing the boundaries deserves a round of applause so that we can also promote more in that space. I mean, it's, it's that point also um, that I, I find very uh, encouraging. You know, the fact that a lot of people, for example, I interview on the show, are very skewed to looking in specific places mm -hmm. because the feeling is that everybody else who has quote unquote kind of made it went into these spaces. Mm -hmm. But when you have an Austria, you know, coming into Ghana to look for an opportunity to increase, you know, their their investment or their their whatever, it's it's just, it's just it just tells you the opportunities that a lot of people are probably not looking at that they probably need to start looking into. One of the things that I wanted to ask about was why does it seem from the data sources that different um, sources have different valuations or estimations for um, how much was invested in Ghanaian businesses? What's the story behind that? Amishala, I don't know if you can. Yes, yes, yes. So we, re we even gave a range. Uh, we said the startups ra raised between 202 to 391 million last year. And last, last week, I was on another show, and they, they couldn't even give the source for 2022. So they quoted from 2021 saying it was around 69 million. The reason we realized is, first of all, data is not available. So one of the main reasons why I'm super proud of this report is the amount of data we've been able to gather from all these different players. Some of them also considered startups in a different way. So they will recognize a startup depending on, uh, based on specific metrics. And, and because of that, they won't consider the amount you raise. Or they only consider a specific amount going upwards, right, as, um, uh, as a significant raise. And so they might not include that in their report. And that's why you see the variations over there. But we went ahead to look at all these different people, the different metrics that they use, just so that you also have a better holistic appreciation of all the different amounts that were raised. So I mean, in, in our report, you know, we, we put five different uh, deal sources, right? The one which is personal to the Innovation Spark, which is the Gold Rush Tracker, so this is us really tracking what's happening in the country, and we include as low as $10,000. But you see a huge jump between our trackers and others and that's because they consider Chipper Cash a Ghanaian company because it's a Ghanaian founder. So if you remove the Chipper Cash investment, then obviously there's a huge drop between the, the, the lowest is 202 um, million and the highest is 391. So if you remove Chipper Cash, then you get this lower number, right? And the reason we are higher than Partech, which is the other source, is because we include deals as low as $10,000. Were you surprised about the number of government initiatives that were providing 
investment um, to tech startups. And I'm saying this because I'm looking at the landscape, um, start, landscape of startup enablers. Mm -hmm. And I found an interesting number of, of government initiatives that we're backing um, as compared to all the others. So let me, let me just go through. So we have incubators and accelerators, um, investors, female founder initiatives, which we'll come to in a bit because I think it deserves a proper mention. Um, academia and universities. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's, that for me was, you know, but yeah, I'll, I'll be asking you guys about that. Corporates in the ecosystem, startup communities and media resources, um, competition and events, associates and advocates, and quite a number. Were you surprised about the number of government initiatives backing um, startups? Not, not surprised, heartbroken maybe. Okay. Also because they seem to still operate in silos. They seem to have their own reason for setting these up. And they seem to be limited to those who will be only privileged to it. And that's why for us, it's important that we make it known. Um, I'm heartbroken because, first of all, not a lot of people know about these government initiatives, no matter how many there are. And they seem to be limited to only those who who will be privy to be in places like Innovation Hub or the, the few places that they can get access to. Very, I mean, and, and yes, it is true, especially on the information bit. It does break the heart. Academia and universities, I, mean, I didn't think that I'll be seeing academia um, and universities in, in this, in this um, um, enablers sort of circle. What's up with that? It, it's surprising and re refreshing. Also, almost like we have heartbreak on the government side, but like heart lift on the academia side of them embracing entrepreneurship and innovation. And a lot of them have gone on to even create innovation hubs within the university. Um, a lot of them practice and promote uh, entrepreneurship. I, will, I can talk about Blue Cross University. We're just there on the weekend, and they're focused on trying to push the needle and get innovation embedded into multiple programs that they do. Even the fashion school that they run, they're trying to educate the fashion designers on entrepreneurship and digitalization and, and those kind of skills. So it, it's really refreshing to see entrepreneurship come home to university. Were you impressed by corporates in the enablers circles moving away from the tokenism of, oh, let's just throw a bit of money at this, to actually get into the point of, like you said, moving the needle. Mm -hmm. were, you, were you surprised, impressed, disappointed? Where, 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 did, it's, where did your emotion lie from, from the data and the research that, that you did? One of my favorites is George with SG, SG Bank. George is an inno innovator at heart. And when you speak with George, you know that it's not a market employed by his bank. He's really out there to help startups and uh, entrepreneurs. The reason why I realize is also because they, don't, they, they have come to appreciate the effect of entrepreneurs in the ecosystem. And so it's either we are really part of it or we are not. We can no longer fake it. We can no longer pretend we are just tokenizing like you said. We must be really involved. Otherwise, we'll miss out on a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And maybe 
companies like ZPay have proven to be a, a threat. Mm -hmm. Companies like SlidePay, right? I remember SlidePay and another company by a bank mm -hmm. happened to launch. No, I mentioned this, this <laughs> the, the same company. Express Pay and Slide Pay existed at the same time. But I, I, I comparing the two, I would say that Express Pay grew at a significant rate compared to Slide Pay, even though it was um, pushed and backed by a bank. So now they know if we don't partner with these people and genuinely contribute, we might significantly miss out. That's, that's, a, that's a very, very solid point there. Because it was a big fear for me, you know, a couple of years back where a lot of it is just, oh, this seems like the new cool. Let's just put a bit of money in it. And I, I, it's, I'm glad that there actually sh there's a mindset shift almost to, we have to have our feet in this game, otherwise we're going to lose out, lose out on that. I, I feel though they can do more though, right? If, if you look at the, the, the sectors that are there, it's typically banking, so it's typically easier for them to get involved because they, they want you to, them to build the accounts there so they, they, they can see the direct long-term benefits of, of doing it. And then you have telecoms being an, usually another big sector there, mm -hmm. right? Uh, MTN, Vodafone has done a few things as well. But I feel there is space and hopefully, you know, corporates reading this report and, and listening to this interview would be nudged to do more because you can do it also in your sector and you can do it in a way to, and, and without, without any shame, to benefit your business. You could be a huge food business and create a food hackathon to see how can get farmers to create better yields for my export business. Or you can be in uh, cement. Okay, how can I get uh, businesses to create better cement or to be create better transport opportunities for the cement, right? But I, I feel this is a beginning. And you have some companies, once again, maybe Cosmos deserves a shout out for funding a whole incubation entity focused on things that are not oil, but agriculture. And it's their CSR, but we have more than one oil company in Ghana. So the Ennies, the Shells, and so on and so forth should also do the same. Have we moved from the incubators and accelerators being co-working spaces because at a point that's what it felt it was from your research and you clearly indicate them as startup enablers have they evolved from just being co-working spaces to actually being you know um the spaces to propel some of these um startups to where they they need to be because at a point that is genuinely how it felt that that was the only business model that made sense to keep them in in in, in, in business. Yeah. I, I think um, we we have to do another report just <laughs> dwelling on that space, right? And I think it's very fascinating. And each each space has its own history. I think if we look at Impact Hub, right? So William Seno, friend, uh, like he was literally the the genesis of what we know as incubation and startups and everything in the country. I think what's the, I think there's no space, no um, uh, hub on the planet, not just Ghana, on the planet, that can boast of three world leaders visiting them, right? Which he has, right? So just, just to give you that level of respect that it deserves. But they really started when there was nothing. So it, it was everything for all purposes, an event space, an incubator, uh, uh, a training space everything. 
I feel almost that like they have left the, the typical game and they're now hosting the largest companies like Glovo and Oze and they become more of like a, um, a Regus or a WeWork type setting. And, and other hubs, I mean, like Hyperspace and Kamasi also adopting some of that models because at the end of the day, the truth is hubs need to survive. So they need to innovate. They're also innovators. They need to innovate and find business models that will help them thrive and survive. There are some hubs like Mess, like Cosmos, that are also very different. They have very deep pockets from very deep founders. So they're able to operate in very different ways. But for me, I look at a hub like iCode in TechReady. No corporate investor backing it yet they're able to produce startups like uh, Nasica, who are winning awards around the world, including Australia. So you can see that they've managed to bring in personnel, stay alive, and train the personnel, give advice and trainings and, and, and programs for them to grow and become full-fledged startups that are now winning awards globally. So I think start, uh, hubs like that, like, um, iCode in, in Takaradi, Hyperspace, Kumasi, uh, McCarthy with Hopper Academy in, in Tamale. I think those hubs deserve some special praise. Well, you're still tuned in to 97.3 City FM. This is City Trends. We're having a conversation about the only ecosystem that we can boast of which is the Ghana ecosystem. And um, this incredible report um, um, by, by the team um, over at Innovation Spark is, is, is what is becoming or has, has become the basis for this conversation. And I think this is the point where I would like to give a special shout out to all the female founders mm -hmm. and institutions or female-led institutions. And I'm sure I want you to speak about it because you know, you have been involved quite a bit with quite a number of them. And I just, when, when, when I saw that they had been given a special highlight as female um, founder initiatives, especially within the enablers um, bracket, mm -hmm. I, I, I felt that was, that was a moment that we just needed to take a step back and, mm -hmm. and give a certain level of appreciation to them. Yes, Philip. Also, just watching my sister, who is also a female co-founder, brazenly go against all the odds. It's, it's no longer a marketing ploy, right? You, we have to appreciate the extra layer involved when a female co-founder is able to overcome the status quo, especially in a male-dominated region. And apart from the founders themselves, it's the women who are also supporting other women, right? So I, Regina, Regina from Strongqua Academy has been a, a she's like the too. she's like the mother of of, exactly. of all the female founders. Exactly, but I got the pleasure to also meet um, Fab Hub in Kumasi, and she's also doing amazing. And most of the time, it might be a peculiar trait for women, right? They provide a certain level of emotional support as well, because we know entrepreneurship is hard, and that is able to also help the women and the females overcome that part of self-doubt, overcome that imposter syndrome associated with entrepreneurship, and they're able to go the extra mile. And we have to give shout-outs to Akosia Aswanobil, Tech in Ghana, single-handedly bringing all the tech players in the ecosystem every, every, every year. And these are all, like, praiseworthy. 
in the end, females are also humans, but we do have to separate them and give them their flowers because they, they go through an extra uh, effort. So now looking at the landscape of Ghana's startup ecosystem, FinTech obviously takes it with the number of businesses in there, agri-tech and food tech, health tech, logistics and mobility, media and entertainment, ed tech and job tech, um, form one, climate and, and clean tech, and e-commerce. And, and clearly, fintech, fintech takes it. And I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by that because I, I really didn't expect ed tech to have that many, <laughs> that many businesses in it. I, I really didn't expect that. And 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 I'm I'm just I'm just looking forward to to seeing how all of this you know grows. But once again, one of the biggest challenges that that comes, especially with edtech, mm -hmm. considering our current educational system, how is that marriage going between policy people who make up the policy and the people who are dreaming about the future of the educational system in the country. And this is just purely your thoughts around it. It doesn't necessarily need to be any evidence from the report. But I'm just wondering from where you sit, from reading all of their work and talking to them, all the interviews, what is that marriage looking like? Is it is it a divorce yet? Have they gone their separate ways? Or, you know, have they had babies already? Because I'm just wondering, these companies, you know, eCampus and all these others, have been at this for so long, they do have something that is keeping them going, but it seems sometimes that there is a bit of a disconnect between the people who are making the policy today and the people who are dreaming about what educational systems are supposed to look like in the future. I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on that real quick. I do. I do. Um, so I would say they, they are in a separation. Um, for the ed techs, I'll say they are supplementary to what currently exists. But policy has always been slow to catch up, especially when it comes to tech and entrepreneurship. And so instead of waiting, they are just moving, right? The e-campus is expanding across West Africa. Like you said, they have been in the game for a long time. I remember Chalkboard as well when they started. Their, their business strategy, their business model at that time was to even work with the universities. And I'm wondering how that is going now. But what I realize is we have to be also careful. These edtechs are training talents for them to be exported because of how the educational system is, um, is tailored. The talent that are raised through, through the edtechs are, are what the world is looking for but they are not what Ghana can afford or can appreciate. And so they are usually exported as well. And that might be something that we have to be careful about. If, if you may like, add in there, like, so I think uh, City Trends is sponsored by ALX. So that's an excellent example yeah. there. And another um, ed tech we have here is IR Gigs. And they are training people in the Web3 um, aspects of what's going on. And I think, I mean, we have to say, you know, we mentioned the government earlier, and you can criticize the government for, for many different things or, or praise them if you, know, if, you, if you do things according to party lines. But one thing that um, they have really been good at is trying to create an, envi an enabling environment 
They have moved forward with the central bank digital currency, so they are looking forward. The Ministry of Communication is looking at a, a digital policy, um, so they are looking at what can be done from that point of view with emerging technology. And I think iGigs is a frontier company really empowering people to have that skill set today because otherwise we're going to be left behind. Anyway, getting, getting into this, this part of the report, Ghana is the top destination for startup investment among the second-tier African countries. Clearly, Nigeria is in the lead. But what does this mean, really, like realistically? What does this mean? Because, I mean, I see Nigeria as first, Ghana is somewhere like fifth or something like that. But then you say Ghana is a top destination for startup investment among the second-tier African countries. What does that mean? I mean, I always, you know, we, we like to say we're, we're the black star of Africa, we're the first to get independent and so on and so forth. But it's really hard to compete against the, the kings uh, of Africa, which are Kenya, Egypt, South Africa, and Nigeria. The, their population sizes alone, their suffocation of their industries, the, the amount of money they have. Nigeria just opened a $600 million fund to support startups. That, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a You can't play with that. You, you, you can't play. So that's what I'm saying. Like, we can't, we, we need to strive to that level. We can't compete at that level. So, yes, if you exclude Nigeria, Egypt, South Africa, and Kenya, from the rest of the 51 other African countries that exist, Ghana is the number one. So it, it sounds weird saying we're top and we say we're number five, mm -hmm. but if you take out the unfair competition that those countries have, then we are number one. We're, we're above Senegal, we're above Morocco, we're above Botswana, we're above um, Uganda. We, we're really shining out as being a, a star in Africa. You also give a special shout out to some, some ladies. Um, Misha Adi of yeah. Jetstream, mm -hmm. Megan of Oze, Peace Hyde of Mahogany Studios, Vanessa of VDL, and um, Sobita of Lex. Why did you highlight these ladies? Uh, any particular reason? So these are, these are ladies that have really raised significant amounts of money in very male-dominated fields. So we have Mishi looking at logistics, we have Oze in finance, we have Peace in, in entertainment, uh, Vanessa also in logistics, and um, Sobeta in food, right? In, in, in the agriculture business. And we just want to really spotlight to show that women are doing it, right? So one, one of the reasons for the report, the whole Ghana Innovation Journal, right? The highlight in the winds, the showing what's going on, is to help encourage people. Because I think, like, I know it sounds very far-fetched using this example, but Black Panther. When Black Panther came out, all of a sudden, young black boys and girls around the world saw themselves as superheroes. And so, okay, I could be a Superman, I could be a Iron Man, I can be a Black Panther. And I think you know, there's one thing to say, oh, entrepreneurship is great and people are raising money. But if you can show women that you can go and dream something and then raise millions of dollars to help achieve that dream because others before you have broken that glass ceiling and have achieved it. I hope it, help, I hope it helps shatter, shatter limiting beliefs. 
And that's why we use these women as, as cross-section. Some are old in the field, some are younger in the field. Uh, VDL, Vanessa, uh, powered by Boxplay Ventures. Also a young, new VC, right? So almost angel VC has gone to find this young lady, invest in her, trust her, and we had a report that they sent over a million packages sometime late last year, right? So like, not that, oh, they're just there, but they're there doing the thing well. Mm, yeah. Better than most men. <laughs> just, just for emphasis. Just, just for emphasis. I mean, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we have about uh, 15 minutes more till, till the end of the show. So just wanted to, to touch on startups that scale to at least 11 um, countries to expand their addressable market. And I can see, of course, Snookhood in Liberia, um, Cardana in Nigeria, um, Zipay in Barbados, um, of course, worth mentioning, um, CarePoint and um, CarePoint Jetstream in Egypt. I mean, these are these are success stories in a lot of ways, you know. And from from your conversations with them, how is it going? Uh, I I will use another startup that we didn't capture because they were acquired. Starbucks Starbucks is now part of Trips. Isidor is now made um, head of marketing across the African continent. And the first thing you realize is it's, it's sort of an ambassadorial position, right? For most people, this would be the first time they're encountering Ghana. Apart from us being known for maybe soccer or music, business-wise, our startups are also our ambassadors. And so for them, it's more of footprints and also letting people know of opportunities back at home. Now, it is up to us back at home to be able to show that, okay, we are not just a one-off success story, but there are more of us like that. And always, we say for Innovation Spark, that's what we are hoping to do. See the examples and be an example for yourself. Well, we'll be, we'll be wrapping up now. Just wanted to get to the bottom um, part of, and of course, if you do want to get access to the, the report, it's available online. Um, how will people get access to it? So it's available on our website, theinnovationspark.com. Also available on our LinkedIn page, The Innovation Spark, or Ghana Innovation Journal. Right. So once you search that online, you should be able to find it. Now, just one more thing. The inability of startups to raise funds, coupled with the current focus on profits rather than growth, led to some companies downsizing. Now, that's a bit about the focus on profits rather than growth, is, is what I just wanted to ask you guys about. Because that's not going anywhere. Everybody invests because they want returns. The appetite to wait it out and see if it works out is not for everybody. And not everybody, especially in the current global economic situation, it's not for everybody to behold. But it seems that that is the only way it will work if startups, especially those in Ghana, will survive. So... When we have that conundrum and we have that challenge facing us, where there's a lot more focus on profit as against growth, how does someone who is starting out as a tech you know, entrepreneur today, how do they even have any... I mean, yes, the stories have been great, but if there is no focus on... If there's very little focus on growth as against profit and you are most likely to fail before you actually succeed... 
how do you even start out in the first place? I, I think it's just a, a change of time. Um, a lot of the startups try to implement like the Facebook model. Facebook went for seven years without making any money. And now, of course, they're a multi-unicorn, and we, all, we know how much uh, Mark Zuckerberg is worth and so on and so forth, right? One of the richest men on earth. Um, I think now there has to be a balance between do I try to capture more territories, do I try to get more users, or do I try to make sure the users are using the platform and paying for it? So before, you know, some platforms say, oh, it's, it's free for a whole year. Now it's more like, hey, it's free for 14 days, and then you have to show you're going to pay for you the platform. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If we're valuable, show us that we're valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Also, Philip, especially from my background with Flippy Campus, you remember Flippy Campus. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also the metrics that you decide to measure in the beginning. Like Isaac said, if you try to use metrics from the West, you might end up failing. Always have to think local context and global approach, right? You may have to start making money right from the beginning. Even if it's just 10 CDs that you are collecting from your customers, it will keep you going for as long as possible before the sweet spot where luck will meet your preparation. And that is something that I also like to put it out there, especially for the entrepreneurs. And the flashiness, the large rounds, it is not going to come probably in the first three years. So you have to be also ready. When I was applying for MEST, I remember in the interview process, they said, you know, in a couple of years, all your mates are going to be driving flashy cars and you still be working or taking charge. Are you willing to take this? And I remember saying yes. And when it was happening, I remember that I had said yes to this. And so that is also something that you prepare for, right? Now we are showing you what M Farmer is doing, what Farmer Line is doing. But remember, there's going to take a lot of hard work. It's not going to be sexy in the first three years. Startups are able to prove their worth in the first three years and start making significant revenue and profit in the next, in the five years. So also know this, right, before you decide to commit to it. And then maybe you can prove your worth and we'll be celebrating you in a few years. Even as, as we conclude, we just have a few more minutes. And listeners, you're tuned in to 97.3 City FM. This is City Trends. We're talking about our only ecosystem, our only tech ecosystem that we have. We have none other but this one. And, and the team at Innovation Spark has put this report together, looking at the, um, the ecosystem, um, the ups, the downs, you know, mostly the ups, though. They are very biased to the success stories, which is always good, but then also giving us an insight into what has worked and what hasn't. And the very final one, trends that point to a bustling future for a startup ecosystem in Ghana. Um, as we, we, we wrap up, just want to find out from you guys, um, what does 2023 look like you know, for the tech ecosystem? Um, I just want your, your, your thoughts on that because I have a feeling that looking beyond 2023 might be problematic considering how quickly things can change. So let's just talk about 2023. We've seen 2022. It's been amazing. Lots has been done. What does 2023 look like from, your, from where you sit? I think one of the first conversations we had was about money and the difficulty of finding local money. And I mean, I was just talking about how we have great relationships and we're also really blessed to have a lot of people contribute their comments and thoughts to the book, uh, to the report from different professors of universities and titans of the industry, including Amma Jaimpour from Scale Up Africa. And she talks about that she is actually working on a fund of funds. 
you were asking about the different VCs and so on and so forth. So I mentioned VCs go for people to, for money. What she's helping create is the place that VCs go for for money. So we're going to have a local fund of funds with up to 75 million US dollars that's sitting here in Ghana. That's going to empower angel investors and local VCs to draw upon and then invest in companies. So it's going to mean that you no longer have to wait to go outside to Germany, Austria, US, and so on. But now more local funds, whether it's banks, whether it's investment houses or VC companies, can pull across those funds and invest in your business. So that's going to be gr groundbreaking in terms of access to capital. You still need to be investor ready. You still need to know your market, your growth, and have all the questions ready. But the money is going to be available here. And that's going to be that's ground, ground training, groundbreaking. And Innovation Spark is always about ecosystem. It's always about community. One of the communities that we are part of is the Tech Ghana Advocates. Uh, and I'm mentioning this particularly because in 2023, we are envisioning more of ecosystem communities rising to the occasion, providing the platform for their members and also providing new opportunities. Because this is city trends, it's also important to pay attention to the trends right? globally. Um, I'm sure, Philip, you've already had a couple of startups come to your come to City Trends and talk about AI, etc. But now AI is sexy. Why is it sexy? Because of the the incredible um, computing power and what it can do significantly for your business. So I want to use this opportunity to also challenge businesses and founders to explore technology and how it can really enhance what they do. I mentioned my sister, she, she, she's a Share Butter co-founder, but she uses tools like Oze, and that has significantly reduced the manpower that she would otherwise use. I'm teaching her how to use ChatGPT, and that is significantly influencing how she now pitches her startup, right? So now she can apply for more funding, even outside Ghana, using the lingo of the Western world. So don't be averse to technology. Don't run away from it. No matter how scary it sounds in the beginning, it's actually practical and you can use it. It's like riding a bike. You have to fall a few times, but once you learn it, you can go. So because it's city trends, look at the trends, look at the technologies available and leverage it significantly to be able to improve. And with that, we draw the curtains down on the show today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure um, having these two gentlemen join me. Um, this, of course, is City Trends, and we, we, we do talk about the trends. And I think the biggest trend right now is um, the work um, by Innovation Spark. You guys, thank you so much. That was incredible work. Thank you for taking the time to delve into the report with us. Really, really appreciate it. But remember that City Trends is sponsored by ALX. It's an African leadership group initiative that seeks to create a diverse pool of talent in the technology sector. ALX is at the forefront of providing cutting-edge Silicon Valley training to young professionals, equipping them with the most in-demand skills of the future. And you can be a part of this by simply logging on to alxafrica.com. Com. This is where we draw the curtains on on the show. Thank you all so much for staying tuned in. The show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow. But until next week, stay techy.